I'm really excited about the message today. We're in Psalm 23, looking through what David wrote 3,000 years ago. And I just want to pick out one phrase. We had baby dedication. We anointed those little ones with oil. And so there's a part in Psalm 23, as we're looking at living in the land of God's goodness and having a loving, good God, there's just one little phrase. It says, you anoint my head with oil. Now, written 3,000 years ago, what kind of relevance does that have for us this morning. I, I want to look at that because I think it's so very relevant. It matters. It's, it's going to change some things in your life this very morning. So what does it mean to be anointed? If you want to just open up that little worship guide, I've got some notes there for you. And you can look at that as we go through this together. I can fill in some blanks and follow along. But, you know, a lot of it depends on who's doing the anointing. If God is involved in it, if he's the one doing it, everything changes. If it's your neighbor that just came over to your house with a can of 10W40 or something, right? And uh, he anoints you queen of Cyprus. Does that mean anything? No. King of Waller. No, you know. Lord of Hockley. I don't know. But no, because it, it, you've got to have some authority to be able to say that, and God is the authority. So I want us to look, I put a couple of definitions of what the Bible talks about when it's talking about anointing. We see all through the scriptures about God's anointing. There's an internal anointing, and that is this. When God's Holy Spirit gives you insight, ability, stamina, authority, or protection that you don't normally have in order to do a job that he has chosen you to do that's that's called God's anointing in the Bible now anointing externally is different it's done by God's people but let's look at it external when someone serving under God's authority prayerfully applies some oil to your skin as an outward sign of what God has chosen to do with you just like these little babies this morning God has promised as we pray over them that he's going to work in their lives that he's going to be following through on those prayers down through the years. I had a friend that was killed in a car accident some years ago. And as I preached his funeral, it was one of the toughest things that I ever did. Because he was a young man, a principal of a school. And he left two little daughters behind. And they were just little, little kids. You know, like six and three, I think. And I remember looking down at them as they were sobbing down there on the front row in that funeral and just being able to tell them, I said, your daddy was a man of prayer because I knew him and he talked about that. And he prayed all down through your life. He prayed for the very first time that you would walk in school. He prayed for the very first time that you would go to middle school and then high school and the very first date that you would have. That guy better watch out. Your dad prayed over him. The guy you're going to marry all down through your year, the years of your life. And, and those prayers, I call prayer the waiting miracle because that's what it does. It waits for just the right. Those prayers that we pray are circling the throne of God. Parents, I hope you've prayed down through your child's life because those prayers circle the throne of God just the right time. He hears them. They're answered. That's how it works. That's what God 
does. And, and so we're going to see that in the lives of these little ones that were just anointed with oil. And it was a sign of what God is going to do. He uses symbols a lot. And it's really a symbol. There's nothing magical about the oil. It's olive oil. I like to get olive oil from over in Jerusalem just because it, it seems special to me. But it's not magical oil. It's just regular olive oil. Just like when you're baptized, it's not magical water out there. Many of you have been baptized recently. It's a symbol. You go under the water. And I say buried with Christ in baptism. And for some of you, we sing two or three hymns. You know, no, we don't ever do that. But everyone always says, leave him under longer. He needs it, you know. And then I say, raise to walk in a brand new life as the water's just streaming off of you. It's a powerful symbol of what God is doing inside of you as you've stepped into this journey with him. Communion, it's a symbol. It doesn't save you. It's not salvation as you take the bread and drink the cup, but it's that symbol of what salvation is. Jesus dying for us. That's why he wants, he reminds us all the time with symbols and things that he's asked us to remember and to obey and to do. And that's what the anointing is. It's a symbol. In the Bible, they would always anoint prophets, priests, kings, little babies, set them apart unto God. And there's, in the Bible, it talks about the anointing of joy and the anointing of deliverance, the oil of deliverance. And it talks about all these different kinds of things. And what it really is, it, all of these symbols are what I call the wedding ring of the Christian life. You see, it's something that happens inside of you. And it's a vow that you make to God, a journey that you begin with God. Just like almost 35 years ago, be 35 years in December, if you can believe it. I was four, she was three. No, I'm just kidding. But it, it was 35 years I've been with this beautiful lady over here. And the ring that I wear symbolizes that. Now, when I take it off, does that mean, well, we're done. I mean, we're not married now. No, we're still married. In fact, don't try to tell her that, right? I said 35 years ago, I said, I do. And I still do. So I'm pretty much done, right? So <laughs> clap for that. That's good. That wasn't my wife clapping over there. But. You know, it's just been this amazing journey. This is a symbol of it. It doesn't make me married. It's a symbol of my marriage. And, and, and that's what all of these things are. And so let's talk about the basics of all this. In order to understand what God's anointing is in the Bible, we have to get back to the basics. You are not an accident. God made you on purpose. There are no accidental babies. There's accidental parents but no accidental babies, okay? You are here for a purpose, for a reason. And it's called a call. Kaleo in, in, in the Greek of the New Testament, the call on your life. And when you, when you look at it, it's called bose in Latin, bose, and, and that's, or boce, and that is the call, the voice of God on your life. That's what we're talking about. And what he's saying is, I've called you. He said, no, I think only priests, pastors, nuns, you know, people like that, they're called. 
All of us are called. You might be called to be a teacher. You might be called to be a business person. You might be called to, to be a nurse. You, what is it that God has uniquely gifted you to do? See, some of you, how many of you are good at math? Raise your hand if you're really good. I mean, good. See, I just, I envy you because that is not my thing. And um, it, it even showed up when I went to the mission field. I, I didn't realize it, but did you know that I, I got there? Well, like, for example, we were just in Cancun and they dedicated their building. It was so cool, like 1,100 people there, their new building that's so exciting. I spoke in Spanish for a couple of minutes. Laura spoke in Spanish for a couple of minutes. And uh, because we'd lived in Mexico all those years as missionaries and after the service, all these people were standing right beside each other and I kept hearing them come up to Laura and, and say, you speak amazing Spanish. And she would say, thank you. And then they'd come to me and go, hey. <laughs> One guy asked me, do you speak Spanish? <laughs> I said, what do you think those two minutes were, you know? But I found out that See, I thought because I'm pretty verbal, right, you know, that I was going to be amazing at this. But if you're past 11 years old, you learn a new language in another part of your brain. And it's, it's like math. It's like plugging in a math formula. And so I get there and I, you know, knew a little few words of Spanish, not too much. And I, but I get there to Costa Rica to learn Spanish. We're going to spend the whole year. I had a headache for an entire year. Have you ever felt that way? And somebody goes, yeah, my first year of marriage was just like, no, no, I'm not talking about that. But here's, <laughs> I got an amen on that one. This is like, <laughs> this is the crowd today, right? You're still in it. We're still praying. We're praying. You're going to find out about anointing today. But here's the thing. What, what God calls you to do, he's gifted you uniquely to do. And even the anointing adds even more to that. Ephesians 2.10, it says this. God made you what you are. And in Christ Jesus, God created us, each of us, to do good works, which he planned in advance for us to live our lives doing. This is what he, he's already made some plans for us. To, before we were even born, he wanted you to do something that makes a difference. You say, well, I don't see how my job makes a difference. If you're doing it, Called by God, it's going to make a difference. It might be in the lives of those coworkers. It might be in the lives of the neighbors around you where you're able to buy a house because of the job. You see, there's all of these things that come into it. But you can't fulfill your calling on your own power. You've got to have God's anointing to do it. So let's talk about how to do this. I mean, we can do stuff, but it won't be at the same level, all right? Some facts about God's anointing. Let's write this down. Number one, God's anointing changes me. God's anointing changes me. It transforms you. It changes you from the inside out. It gives you abilities you did not have on your own. There are a lot of examples of this in the Bible. One of the ones that I think of right away is King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 10. He was the very first king anointed in Israel they'd never had a king before and Saul was a big strapping good-looking guy but he didn't have confidence and he thought I, can't, I don't think I can do this and Samuel the prophet 
came. And, and listen, just listen to what happened in 1 Samuel 10. Then Samuel took oil and poured it on Saul's head and said, God has anointed you to be the leader of his people. God's spirit will come on you in power and you'll speak like a prophet and you'll be changed into a different person. After this happens, do whatever you think is best because God will be with you. He put this anointing, it changes you. You become more competent. You, you become more confident. You become more calm. Another thing about God's anointing, it makes the impossible possible. Write that down. It makes the impossible possible. The difficult tasks in your life easier. We've had uh, my almost three-year-old granddaughter, Zoe, and her little seven-month-old brother, Owen, with us for the last uh, three or four days as their parents have been in Cancun uh, for an anniversary of some friends down there. And um, so, yeah, so it's been, what, 72 hours maybe? You need anointing for that. You do. You, it's like, and, and I'm just, I'm serious. You know, you ladies that have the kids at home and are you guys, if you're staying with them, it, it, it's like, man, that's the tough, I mean, that's a, that was like a full-time job for two of us. And so I'm just praying for you, but you need God's anointing to raise those little ones. You do. You need God's anointing to do the things, to be married even, right? You've got to have his anointed. Listen to what it says in Ephesians 3.16. It says, from his unlimited resources, God will give you mighty inner strength through his Holy Spirit. That's one of the Holy Spirit's job. It, it, jobs is to anoint you, to give you the power and the energy and the wisdom and the resources. You see, there's only one well that won't run dry, and that's God. He, he talks about in the Old Testament, he says in Jeremiah, my people, I have this against you. You've gone out, you, you've left the, the spring of living water. Think of that, like the amazing springs of water. And you've gone and you've hewn for yourselves cisterns. Oh, you know, like you've dug these holes and, and there's a little water in them, but they're, they're muddy and then they run dry eventually because you've just kind of dug your own whole little rainwater in there then it runs dry, and that's what you're trying to get life out of. And over here, I'm the fountain. That's a, quite a picture, isn't it? And, and that's what I'm saying is there's only one fountain of living water. When it comes to marriage, this is how marriage was meant to be lived. A man and a woman walking together, holding hands, walking through life as friends, looking to God to meet all of their needs. You see, that's, that's, that's the thing. We've, as we look to God to meet our needs, a lot of us are looking to our spouses to meet our needs. And that's just not gonna work. The Bible's real clear about that. You know, I told you, Jesus said, in this world you'll have trouble, and if you get married, you'll have more trouble. Those are the things, that's what Paul added that in there, you know, and those are the things that the Bible says are true. But a lot of us are going like, oh, I can't wait to marry that man because I know he will fulfill all my needs. You are going to be so disappointed. It is not going to happen. You know, he's my knight in shining armor. Laura always talks about our first years of marriage. She goes, Mark, I just knew he was my knight in shining armor, but I learned that he wasn't. You know, and 
we had those difficult years. We always say 35 years we've been married. It's been like 29 of the happiest years of our lives. And those first six were pretty rough, you know. It's like because we were learning these things. But what happened is where it changed, Laura began to go to God daily and depend upon him and get in his word and read and focus and get that anointing from him. I began to do that. We did that separately. And then we would come together and walk as friends together. But we weren't looking to each other to meet our needs anymore. Our expectations were dropped. We were looking to God to do that. Everything changed. It became a joy. It became exciting. It became fun. It wasn't like disappointment after disappointment. I wasn't waiting on her to meet my needs. She wasn't waiting on me to fulfill her. God was doing that. And he's the only one that doesn't run dry. Jesus Christ fulfills us. Do you know what Christ means, by the way? Is that just Jesus' last name, Christ? Jesus H. Christ? No, it's not. Christ means anointed one in Greek. Did you know that? He's the anointed one. It's the same word in Hebrew. The Hebrew word, though, is Messiah. Messiah, Christ, Messiah. Those are the Greek and Hebrew words for anointed one. And that's who Christ is. God's power at work within us. Look at this, Ephesians 3.20. God's power at work within us is able to accomplish infinitely more than we could ever dare to ask or even imagine. Now, I don't know about you, but I can, I can dare to ask some things sometimes. I, my dreams aren't small. No one ever accused me of that. But he said more than you could dare to ask or even imagine. Close your eyes just for a minute. Just for a minute. Just shut out everybody else. What would you ask God for if you knew that you could not fail? What would you ask him for? Just think. Maybe just ask him right now. Just ask him. If you knew that you could not fail, this is what I would ask you for. All right, look back up here. That was too small. What you just asked for, he said, you haven't even dared to dream or ask or even imagine yet what I want to do. But that's with my anointing, okay? And so you begin to see this and God's, God's going, I, I want to do things that you can't even imagine. I want to anoint you for this. But here's the thing. Write this down. God anoints my life to bless others. God anoints my life to bless others. This is what we find in the Bible. He doesn't just bless you so you can feel good or, or, or you know, it's not about us. That's the, the problem we have sometimes in American church is that we begin to make this whole anointing thing about us. He anoints us to bless others, to bless him. To give glory to his name. There's something that he's doing there. Not just because, well, I, this is what. If you say, God, here's what I want to do. I don't really care what you want to do. Here's what I want to do. Will you anoint this? He's not going to do it. But when you began to walk with him. Laura said this one time to me out of Psalm 37. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. She said what God showed me in this verse and it, this changed my life. 
if we will spend time with him and walk with him, then all of those dreams that he planted in us from birth even, and especially from our new birth when we stepped into this walk with him, all of those dreams he planted in us that he wants, well, they'll start to bubble up. They'll be his dreams. He's dreaming. But see, we've kind of Americanized it and said it's about comfort and safety and I've heard people say the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. I know what they're trying to say, but I can't really agree with that. I, I know that God put this dream in our heart to go to Mexico City. And we were there for about a decade. And I remember a gun pointed right at my head. That didn't feel safe, but I knew I was in the center of God's will. Now God delivered us and delivered me from that. And there's an amazing story behind that. I'll tell you sometime if you haven't heard it. But the thing is, it's not necessarily the safest place. It's the place that God put this dream and you're gonna risk it and do it. And it, it, it's amazing what he does. He anoints my life to bless others. In fact, he says in Isaiah chapter 61, verses one through three, that there are six different kinds of people that he wants us to make a difference in with our anointing. Look at this, it says, the spirit of the Lord is on me and he's anointed me to bring good news to the suffering, to those that are suffering, to the afflicted, to comfort the brokenhearted. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can heal a broken heart. It's not time that heals a broken heart. It's, it's him. To announce freedom to captives. I think some of it's figurative and literal at the same time and you see how this is happening even as you're involved in breaking the chains of sex trafficking down on Bissonette, that, that's part of what we're talking about. That's why we're involved in that. To open the eyes of the blind. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of God's favor has come to tell all who mourn that God will give beauty for ashes, joy instead of mourning, praise instead of heaviness. Can I just tell you, that's coming for you if you're stepping in to this journey with him. All of us in this old world, we mourn, we grieve. There's different times that the levels of grief are higher and lower, but we're gonna grieve, we grieve goodbyes. What an amazing God we have that he cares about our emotional needs. Now, what's really interesting about this passage is when Jesus started his ministry, he went to his hometown of Nazareth and he read that exact passage. And then he was supposed to preach that day. And he read it out of the scroll and then he went and sat down and he only said this. Everybody's looking at him. He said, today, this passage is fulfilled right in front of your eyes. I'm the anointed one, I'm the Christ, I'm the Messiah is what he was saying. And they understood what he was saying because they got really upset with him and mad. The religious leaders, you know, that's, you don't look like the Christ that we anticipated coming in uh, triumphant on a big white horse. And, and, and so Jesus, is the anointed one. When he, through his spirit, lives in us, he does the same works out through us and even greater works 
it says, because there's more of us. There's a whole church together to go and do this and see this. But I, I want you to see this thing. For every new challenge, I need a fresh anointing. You can't just say, well, you know, back in, oh, back in 90-something, you know, I remember being in a church service and the song was amazing and I, I felt, you know, all shaky. And Now, what about God's anointing for today? What about what he wants to do in your heart today? You see, you have to spend time with him like Laura and I learned to do early in our marriage. That was the best thing. We went to counseling. We did so many different things and that helped tremendously for us to see these issues in our life. But the power came to change our marriage because you can see all the issues and still not do anything about it. Just ask any counselor. They'll tell you, oh yeah, built my swimming pool off that guy, you know, because he never did anything I said, right? And so just ask any one of them and say, where's the power? It doesn't come from psychology. Only God's anointing can bring that. And we need that fresh anointing every, every single day. And what you see in the scripture is that people would have it and they would lose it. How did they lose it? They would lose it in a lot of different ways. They would, they, they would lose it through greed or they would lose it through distraction or just sometimes it was unforgiveness. They would start to hold a grudge and and lose it and it was kind of like a party balloon you know that runs out of helium and it's just it's not what they used to be there's one story where all of Israel kind of lost God's anointing at one time and the enemy came down and took all these shields of gold that Solomon had made so they felt bad because they had lost all their stuff and so they built shields out of brass which that's not gold is it and they replaced them and they tried to act like it was all the same and some of us are doing that today. It's kind of like, you know God's anointing is not on you, but you're just kind of going through the motions, right? That's just shields of brass. He's going, no, I want to bring the gold back. I want to bring back what makes the difference in your life. And we all leak, so we have to do this every day. The Lord generously gives us his favor and honor, says Psalm 84, 11. No good thing will he withhold from those who live upright. God is the most generous being in the universe. And he pours that out on us and he wants us to receive it and then pour it out on other people. Let me give you two quick examples. When God anoints your business, it's amazing what happens when God anoints your business. It's incredible what God does. Some of you, have seen that some of you let me just read you what it says about Joseph in the Bible because the Lord was with Joseph he was greatly blessed so that everything he did succeeded everything he did they're talking about in his works in his business in the things that he did everything succeeded how many of you would like it to be said of you everything you do succeeds would you raise your hand up Half of you. Okay, if you want everything that you do to succeed, raise your hand up high. All right, everybody woke up. Because all of us would love that. We have to have God's anointing on that. Does that mean you'll never fail? No, I didn't say that. But ultimately, I mean, it was Joseph. He spent time in prison. He had some other things happen. But ultimately, everything he did 
succeeded. As you do this, you begin to see the plans of God. You begin to see the power of God line up behind you. A generous man will prosper. And he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed, says the book of Proverbs. Also, another thing that anointing, when God anoints your body, it brings health and healing to you. Jesus did that. When Jesus went out, he modeled this for us. And what he did, he would pray and he would preach and he would heal. A third of Jesus' ministry was like health care. He would heal. And what the Bible says in the book of James is that we're to anoint with oil. And it talks about if anyone among you is sick or ill. And in the Bible, there are three kinds of illnesses. Let me just go over those real quick with you. Three kinds of illnesses. One is a learning illness. Psalm 119, it was good for me to be afflicted so I could learn your truth. Some of us learn through pain better than anything else. Some of us only learn through pain. But I know my wife, when they gave her that 50-50 chance to live diagnosis with cancer, she said that, that those next months that passed that were excruciating, chemo, radiation, an ileostomy, surgery, just a part of her bowel taken out, and, and, and all of this, she said, I wouldn't trade that for anything. I wouldn't trade it because everything changed I know God like I've never known him and never would have known it and I'm looking like I would have traded it for you you know I remember how difficult that was I hated seeing you curled up in a ball on on the couch but she said but God was there curled up beside me it was the most intimate time with God that she had ever had it was a a learning time and he teaches us sometimes through our sickness there's another reason for sickness illness in the Bible and that is it leads to death you say well that's not a very positive one well that's how you get to heaven right I mean Jesus said one time this is not an illness that leads to death I'm going to heal this one there's one illness you're going to get in your life of some sort or another maybe that leads to death it's not going to happen often right some of you are wondering about that but would you want to live forever here on this old broken prodigal planet some of us go I want to with really with war and disease and rape and injustice and you just look at all of the oh it's just horrible stuff that and, and you get so frustrated and discouraged and all of the sorrows and the grief I mean live forever how many goodbyes are you going to say and he says there'll be one that leads to death and you'll come home and there won't be any more goodbyes, and you'll be in my house with me. If it were not so, wouldn't I have told you? And then there's one last one, and that is to bring glory to God. He, Jesus said at one point, this illness is to bring glory to God. How does it bring glory to God? Well, either you're healed, and God does this miraculous thing, or in the illness, you demonstrate God's power, his anointing, even in the midst of illness, if it's the one that leads to death. I had a friend just a few months ago that passed away and he was so strong, he just amazed me. I thought, I wanna die like that. And his kids all came to Christ. They had been kind of on the fence and they, it was just amazing to see what God did in the midst of that. But then I've also seen others miraculously healed. 